0: Good day. Are you happy today? (laughs) Naughty boy. Last Sunday morning, I was sitting in my regular seat in the back row and about three or four rows in front of me was a burly gentleman. He and his wife were, I had not seen them before, but there you, obviously, they had a presence about them. At the end of the service, they were walking out and he had on, is it offensive to say a biker's coat? Is that, is that offensive? Okay. He had a biker's coat on and so he was walking up toward the exit and uh, like most people who they walk up the exit, they got their eyes basically on the ground looking where they're gonna go. And as he came to where I was seated, Mary had already left to, to look for Stephen and for Lisa, I simply said to him, thanks for being with us today. Have a great day. And He turned and looked at me and he said, Pastor Des, are they guilty. He said, you do not recognize me. I said, true. He said, over 25 years ago, you had an all-night prayer meeting here at Bethesda. Actually, it was from 7 till midnight. It felt like all night. <laughs> he said, I came to that meeting. He said, God did something for me in that service. I have never been the same again. If I'd been a younger man, I would have remembered to get his name and address. But you know, when you get old, you begin to, uh, yeah, forget things. And so I was going to talk to you this morning about the power of prayer. Then Pastor Dan advised me one day this week that we're going to be celebrating communion. And so I thought, well, perhaps I better change my subject. And so I began to look at the subject of communion. And an amazing thing happened because I'd not looked at the table in this way before. From this, the Lord's Supper, after the Barakah or the blessing, is that they went out having sung the Hallel, let's sing the Hymn. In the next 24 hours, we have the most intense, Period of prayer in the life of Jesus mentioned anywhere. Now I had noticed that before. I'd not paid very much attention to that before. But from the moment they walked out and crossed the Kidron to go to the Mount of Olives, there were a series of intense moments of prayer in which the Lord was involved in in praying for a variety of things. John, in his gospel, speaks in chapter 17 of the high priestly prayer of Jesus. We're not told where that took place, but we know it took place after the communion service and before the cross. So somewhere in that 24 hour period of time the Lord prayed the first part of the prayer I remember Campbell McAlpine saying that the first part of the prayer is the Lord presenting before the Father his report card He said I have finished the work that you've given me to do the second part of that prayer is he's praying for you and praying for me as well as praying for the disciples at that time. And one of the things he prays is this, Father, please don't take them out of the world, but keep them from the evil one. I thought, oh, obviously that's important, that the Lord want us to remain to function here upon planet earth, but he's also asking us to be protected from the evil one. From there they went to the garden. While in the garden called Gethsemane, three of the disciples a little closer, oh, I've been to that place many, many times, both the official one and the unofficial one the private garden. And he simply said to the disciples, pray that you enter not into temptation. I thought, oh. So he prayed that we'd be careful from the evil one. And now he's praying, pray that you'll not succumb to the enemy. Then from there, we know very well about the trial and how that went. But then we get the cross. And when we get the cross, out of the seven statements which the Lord makes on the cross, at least four of them are expressions of prayer. The first one is is a very, very honest prayer. It's the why prayer. Father, why have you forsaken me? The second prayer is the prayer of love. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. The third prayer. In the prayer of need, I thirst. I thirst. The fourth prayer, often be the prayer of commitment. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. So while I was meditating upon these principles of prayer, my mind went back to the first prayer. When the disciples said to to Jesus, John gave his disciples a pattern, a format, a prayer. Why don't you give us one? And so I turned back to the disciples' prayer. And it's in three parts. The first part is the part in which he eulogizes the Father. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Why don't we just quote it together? Come on. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. It is questionable whether the last part was actually given by the Lord, or whether it was a later edition. Added because, but it is appropriate. And so if you add the the last statement, you've got six statements which are directed to the Father, and you've got six statements which are expressions of prayer. And the last of those six statements is this, deliver us from the evil one. And so I thought... At the beginning of his ministry, and at the end of his ministry, I hear the Lord simply saying, "Father, keep them from the evil one." I hear the Lord say to the disciples, "Pray that you'll not fall into temptation from the evil one." At the beginning. He simply says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So I began to think, okay, Lord, why? It is so important for us to recognize the conflict that we are in. And it dawned on me. You know, it's a wonderful thing when you're an old man to get things dawned upon you. You'll catch that later on. (laughs) The first, we have an enemy. In fact, his name, when given in Hebrew, Ha-Satan, is either used as a noun in which it becomes his name, or it's used as a verb. Which speaks of what he does. It's either he's called Satan or he's involved in accusation. Keep us from the enemy, the one who accuses us. And so I began to think so, what does the enemy do to us? And I began to realize there are at least five areas in which the enemy of our soul is very, very actively involved in our lives. First of all, our enemy, he opposes the word of God. Say it with me. He opposes the word of it's introduced in the early part of scripture, where in the garden, to the delightful couple, Adam and Eve, or really Ish and Isha, because that was basically the, the description. Satan said to them, said to her rather, Hath God said? And throughout all of our lives, we are challenged by the enemy. Is the word of God true? Is it real? Is it dependable? In the 50s and 60s, there were three men who were essentially prophets sent to the world. One was C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis wrote a book, The Screwtape Letters. And in this little book, he speaks of there being a place in the enemy's headquarters, a sacred, special place called the *Logia*. The Leologia? Yep. A lodger obviously speaks a word. And C.S. Lewis, in his own inimitable way, described that as far as the enemy was concerned, and more particularly and precisely as we come to the end of the age, that he would be extremely interested in changing the meaning of words. And the only reason why he would want to change the meaning of words is so that he could discredit the word. Yeah. That in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. <clears throat> Another prophet is Mark Muggeridge. And he was saying a similar kind of a thing. And then of course there was the mischievous Francis Schaeffer. When we were pastoring in Australia, I used to recommend to all the, the young people who were about to go to college that they would read the writings of Francis Schaeffer. There were two books in particular that I recommended. One, The God Who Is There and Is Not Silent. The second, How Then Should We Live? When I came to Texas, I'd been here about six weeks, and I learned to my great delight that Francis Schaeffer was beholding a seminar downtown. So I went to hear Francis Schaeffer, The students, they made fun of him because he he was dressed in Swiss attire. In Switzerland, that would have been classical dress. Over here, it looked kind of strange. (laughs) And the students laughed and laughed and laughed. They didn't listen to what he said. They were so taken up with the way that he looked, they didn't have ears to hear what he said. And Schaefer made state, a sounding statement, echoed by Margaret echoed by C.S. Lewis. He said the challenge that the church is going to face in the next 40 years will be the changing of the words to discredit the word of God. That we will not believe, but he said, "God is not a man that he should lie, or the son of man that he should repent." Has he not said it, and shall he not make it good? Satan opposes. What's the first one? The word of God. Okay, pastor, they've forgotten already. I'm busy. I'm Go home and have dinner. Number two, Satan opposes the will of God. Peter says it so eloquently, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It is the will of God. For the world to be saved, how do I know? We just celebrated it. When I was a younger man, which is a long, long time ago, I used to ask myself a question. And it's always tough when you ask yourself a question. Because you usually come up with stupid answers. And I used to ask myself a question. I can appreciate the fact of Jesus dying. But why did he have to remain dead three days? After all, the price was paid on the cross. He said, it's done. Well, that's not quite the way he said it, but... It's finished. He used the same word that is used in Genesis. When God says, are you about finishing creation? Jesus is not talk about creation. He's talking about redemption. He said, it's done. And if you get confused, as wonderful as creation is, it pales into insignificance when looking at redemption. You say, how can I say that? Because God only writes four chapters upon creation. He has the whole book on redemption. Why three days? Then began to dawn on me. Look what he did in those three days. The first thing he did, according to Peter, he went through the caverns of the damned and he simply said to the righteous saints, Go home to Papa. For he took captivity captive and released those from Abram's bosom. They went back to Papa's place. So that when we die, we don't go to paradise. We don't go to see to Abram's bosom. We go to the presence of the Lord. Absent for the body, be present with the Lord, which is far better. The second thing he did, he conducted church. We're told that he, he preached a sermon. Man, but his audience was not eloquent Was not sharp and smart like the ones here in Bethesda. He went and spoke to those spirits that had been in captivity from Noah's day. All of that time they'd been hoping against hope. Eventually, things are gonna turn. We're gonna win. We're gonna get out this place. And Jesus went and simply said, the spirits of captivity, too bad! You backed the wrong horse. Now that's not the biblical method. <laughs> he simply told them, you lost! And the third thing he did, <laughs> he walked over to the corner where there's a shivering, shuddering, scary individual. And he said, "Uh, I'll take these, Twice you won't need them anymore. He holds the keys of death and hell. Satan is not willing. He's opposed to the word of God. He's opposed to the will of God. He's opposed to the ways of God. Jesus, I just came out to the waters of baptism and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove, the voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son. And the, the Holy Spirit takes him to the desert to be tempted of by you-know-who. After 40 days, he was hungry. That's an understatement. After 40 days, you are terribly hungry. In fact, when you're going along fast, you go through three stages. The first stage, for the first three days, you're hungry. Even Halloween, that's not the word I wanted. What's a... Jappalinos, not jappalinos, jalapenos. <laughs> <laughs> I've only been here 40 years. <clears throat> But after three days, even they smell good. (laughs) Then you lose your desire for food for about 10 days. And about the 12th day, the 50th day, your hunger comes back in a much more intense way. You go through about three days, your hunger dissipates. And it returns about 40 days later. Only this time it's the last warning of your body. Feed me, or I'm gonna implode. Jesus was at the place of implosion. And the enemy comes along and says, You, if you're the Son of God, why do you turn these stones and make them bread? Now bread is not the thing to eat after being on a 40-day fast. Jesus said, Hey. The one who brought me here is the one who is able to sustain me here, even if it's a hundred days. But Satan said, hmm, he quoted the word in a wrong sense. He was opposed to the ways of the Lord. Then Matthew says, he took him to the pinnacle of the temple. Friend, may it be honest with you, be careful where you let the devil take you. Yeah. Oh, oh, <laughs> you missed it. <clears throat> be careful about what he asks of you and be careful where he takes you. And he says to the Lord, hey, The word says he'll give his angel charge over thee to keep you in all your ways. Just jump. The Lord looked at him and simply said, "Uh uh-uh. You don't understand, Satan. It's not if I go floating down. but as if I be lifted up when I draw all men unto me. Satan lost the challenge. He's opposed to the word of the Lord. He's opposed to the word of the Lord. Huh? It's both the ways of the Lord. It's about the worship of the Lord. He looked at Jesus takes him to a high mountain. We're not sure which mountain he took him to. There are all kinds of ideas, but we know what he had him there for. And he simply said, I want you to take a look at this. And suddenly, like a flash, before his eyes, he showed him all the glories of the world. And he said to him, all this is yours if you just bow down and worship me. I have to ask the question. Why did he show him all the glory so quickly? I submit to you because what the devil has to offer does not stand inspection. The quick flash, it looks good. But if you inspect your clothes, you say, uh 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 uh, uh. that's not real goods. How can we show him so fast? Because I submit to you, the devil doesn't have much to offer. Jesus simply said, Satan, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you worship. And Satan left him for a season. Ah, but he's also interested or opposed the work of the Lord. The Apostle Paul, right to the church of Thessalonica, simply said, I wanted desperately to come and see you. Which I couldn't because Satan hindered. This is why we are reminded in the scripture pray that you fall not into temptation. Pray that you overcome the enemy because he does not have your well being at mind. I need to close. And I've only just started. You know, when you get an old man, it takes a long time to say the, a little stuff. How do we overcome the enemy? I submit three ways. Obviously, the, the one that we look at is the matter of prayer. For Jesus said, pray, lest he fall into temptation. Or Pray that you be delivered from the evil one. Pray. The second one is praise. Whoso offereth praise, he glorifies God. To exalt him, to extol him, to honor him. When you do that, the things of time grow strangely dead in the light of his glory and grace. To praise him. It is said in the book of Revelation, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, which we've been celebrating this morning. And by the word, (coughs) pardon me, and the word they testimony. What is the word they the testimony? It's the confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. Yes. Let me close. I was minding my own business, sitting in Starbucks, drinking a small cappuccino. And suddenly, a lady came up the table and said, Reverend Evans, I knew she's a close friend. <laughs> <clears throat> so I attended Bethesda for a couple of weeks. I said, like every other place I went to. I, said, I want you to know I've, I've since rejected it. I said, oh. I said, it doesn't work. I said, oh. That's what do you mean? Well, I said, you talk about miracles. I said, they don't happen. I said, oh. And so she went on with a litany of things. Apparently, there was, she had a problem. She'd, she must have talked to the Lord about it and expect the Lord to resolve it immediately, and it hadn't happened. And so she said, uh, I just want you to know you're a hypocrite. I said, Guilty. I said, saved. <laughs> <laughs> come on, come on. She's just agreeing with me. <laughs> I said, your problem, ma'am, is this. You're only looking at one side of the coin. So what do you mean by that? I said, well, when you look at a coin, there's a heads and there's a tail. I said when you look at the word of the Lord, there's a head and a tail. I said, it is very, very, very true that by the dynamic of the Holy Spirit and by the gift of the Holy Spirit, there are miracles. Miraculous gifts which are given to people. I said, but there's a flip side, the I said, the writer of the Hebrews says it this way, we see not yet all things under subjection to him, but we see Jesus. He said, so? Said, and he goes on to describe what Jesus does. I said, he strengthens us. Verse 18. So then when we jump over to chapter four, You find it something, for we do not have a high priest who's insensitive, who is not touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but has been tempted in all points, like as we are yet without sin. Therefore, he invites us to come boldly before the throne of grace to find grace to help in time of need. I said, that's the other side of the coin. I said, if God doesn't give you a miracle gift, He will give you a measure of grace. I said that grace will be more than sufficient to take you through what you're facing and to overcome it for the glory of God. For sometimes we have to go through waters, sometimes we go through flood, sometimes we go through fire. I said, but in it all, Jesus Christ is glorified. She blessed me <laughs> with words that I'm not allowed to think, <laughs> leave alone say. And then she said, uh, I'm going to have to go back and discuss this with my mentor. And I said, ma'am, you don't need to go back and discuss with your mentor, except because he'll take it to hell. You need to go back and discuss with Jesus. And he'll either give you the gift or he'll give you grace. I say, whatever, both will be wonderful because they'll come from the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, friend, we've celebrated the Lord's Supper. And because that celebration, he's guaranteed us forgiveness of sin. A hope which is sure. A friendship which is unfortunate and failing. This morning, if you have not given your life to Jesus, what on earth are you waiting for? If you have given your life to Jesus, make sure that you pray that you'll fall not into temptation. You'll praise that you might glorify God and you'll speak out with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord.